Hi there, I'm Ben Morton and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's absolutely free. This week, we have another of our special medley episodes, which this time focuses on the topic of leading through change and uncertainty. It's a hot topic for us leaders, and in some respects, it feels as though it's never been more relevant. There are so many cliches, metaphors, and statements in the world about change and uncertainty. Some of these are helpful, some of them aren't. Some of them are true, and some of them aren't. And I'm sure you've heard them all before. Change is the only constant, for example. That one's probably true. If you're not moving forwards, you're going backwards. This one speaks to the idea that if you're not innovating, other people will be, and therefore you'll get left behind. Again, there's probably much truth in that one too. And then there's one I heard several years ago, a client conference I attended. Now, there was a futurist giving a presentation whose name I can't remember, sadly, but his point was this. Today, the rate of technological change is the fastest it's ever been, and it's the slowest it will ever be. I think with the recent growth of artificial intelligence and becoming much more mainstream, it feels as though there's at least a possibility that this one is also true. And in addition to all this change, there's also a huge amount of uncertainty in the world right now. The term VUCA, which stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex and Ambiguous, is an acronym that's widely credited to the organisational consultant and author Warren Bennis, who first came up with the term back in 1987 yet it seems to perfectly describe the world in which we're all now living, working and leading. So while the acronym may be relatively new, armed forces around the world have been training their leaders to operate in this environment since men first took up arms against each other. So from my perspective, this doesn't mean that we necessarily need a whole new raft of leadership skills to operate in this world. It is true, however, that the world has been very VUCA for the past five or 10 years. If you're a leader or manager, there have been more seismic shocks that you've had to respond to in the past five years than most leaders probably responded to in the previous 50 years. If you're in the UK, there was Brexit, of course. Then we had COVID and the pressure that was put on global supply chains due to the war in Ukraine, and the ever-given ship that blocked the Suez, do you remember that? Which was obviously followed by the sort of challenging economic situation across much of the world. What all of this means for us as leaders is that we need to ensure that we are well-placed to lead our people and the organizations that they form through change and uncertainty. And that is what today's episode is all about. You're about to hear from five highly successful leaders from an incredibly diverse range of backgrounds, sharing their personal experiences and advice about leading through change and uncertainty. And most of these clips, it's unheard footage, i.e. they didn't appear in the original episodes. 
And at the end, after you've heard from these five amazing leaders, I'll also share some of my own thoughts on this really important topic. So now, without any further delay, let me introduce the first guest on this week's medley, which is General James Rupert Everard, who first appeared on episode 33 of the show, which remains the most downloaded episode of all time. So if you've not listened to the original, go and check that out once you've finished today's episode. But here's General Everard sharing his advice for leading in a volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. People have to understand that it's not individual brilliance that matters, but the commitment by the individual to the greater good. And, you know, I use the word Jedi. These are our sort of absolute A streamers who even at a young age you can see getting to, you know, senior rank. And I've been, you know, lucky enough to have been supported by some real Jedi in my time. Uh, and were they all aware of their brilliance? I, I think they were. But they actually recognised my desire that they channel this to the collective good. And the ones that have gone furthest did that the best. Is that awful? Was it, you know, no I in team and all these sort of things? It's the same point. But I think, you know, people understand this when you, you can say that to any rank. Yeah, I want you to do well, but, but you know, it's your brilliance that makes us better. It's interesting. You, you mentioned there that there's no I in team. Maybe this comes with age. I'm, I'm not sure. But more and more, I, I find that so many of those cliches that get banded around and used, I think they're, they're cliches because there's a lot of truth in them. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's not training. If it's not raining, you know, all these things, you'll know them. And, <laughs> and they're all rooted in some worthy point. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'd like to ask you about, James, is the, the VUCA acronym. Mm. Now, that's something that um, I, I can easily get on a, on a bit of a soapbox around this one. It's a phrase that's kind of swept into the business world in a, in a big way. Probably in the past five to 10 years, last 12 months, it's been thrown around uh, a lot. I mean, depending on what you read and study, some, some people, some institutions suggest that this requires leaders to adopt a whole new raft of leadership skills and, uh, and, and an approach, which, which I, f- I find interesting because as far as I can see, sort of the VUCA environment, that volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, that's been the case for militaries all around the world since people first took up arms against each other. But from your military experience, are there any particular tips or tactics or approaches that you think help leaders to lead effectively in, in this environment? It's interesting. I, I haven't heard VUCA being used for a while, you know, volatility, uh, uh, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. I mean, I remember it. And I think the big point here is that, that language is important and it's just very human to search for a, for a bumper sticker, a strap line, a set of bullets that makes what is very complicated just that bit easier to understand. And I think there is a lesson here in the value of simplicity, particularly if you're trying to establish unity of understanding across a large body of people. You know, you break the problem down, uh, you explain the nature of the strategic challenge by simplifying, you know, the sometimes overwhelming complexity of the uh, of the language. And this is where these bullets or things emerge, you know, and I think in NATO now you'll have this 
long list of outthinking, outexcelling, outfighting, outpacing, you know, outpartnering, outlasting your opponent. That again is a sort of summary of a sort of thirty-page paper that tells you how you might do it. So I absolutely recognise the value of these things, and I, and I like them more when they are proactive. In other words, they're things you can do, other, you know, rather than words that, that just simplify a ten-page booklet or something. Yeah, and James, from again from your experience, if we use this phrase, when um, all hell is is breaking loose, when things suddenly become complex and chaotic and and confusing what can we do as 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 leaders to operate effectively in in those moments and the thing that springs to to mind for me is i guess in the military is what we would describe as command time or i think i remember my time at sandhurst i remember this being described as the panama or or hamlet moment but um, what, what would your advice be on that sort of when you're in kind of corporate headquarters it feels like the whole world is is collapsing around you what what would your advice be well i think we're lucky in the military that we train our commanders and our headquarters to be very happy with an incomplete operational picture you know surprise you know all those time pressure you know all those things that might spin uh organizations out of control we we like to think we've thought about it and we tend to have processes that allow you to break down that challenge and respond in an uh, ordered fashion but i you know i think in terms of a, a leader and i think you know there is no more important activity than command and control you know particularly when you're a, in a fight or uh, under supreme pressure that is the example of the commander and you know, you'll know that old phrase. You know, we talked about these things being trotted out. But if you can, if you can keep your mind, your humour, everything else, then it, you know it gives people confidence, and very soon the team will rally and you're back. So I think it is, you know, leading by example, but also making very good use of the processes that you will have built up over time. Next up is Sarah Walker Smith, the CEO of Amper, who has appeared not once but twice on the show. And this clip comes from the latest episode that she appeared on, which was episode 89. Never more so has this been true. And I don't think we should get complacent that we've come through this tough period and we're few, we can breathe a sigh of relief. I think we need to restore, like I say, mentally and physically now. So first and foremost, look after yourself. I mean, I think that's going to be absolutely essential. And then secondly, do all the things that we need to do in periods of, of volatility, which is is look after ourselves, look after our people, build agility into our organisations, make sure that we are staying close to lead measures as well as lag measures. Um, In fact, those lead measures, I think, are dialled up now to spot things coming before they happen. But actually, the other thing that I feel as business leaders is whilst we need to have all this horrendous doom and gloom in our heads about all the things that could go wrong and have all of our contingency plans and then contingency plans for the contingency plans. What we're doing in an agile organisation is empowering people to make those decisions and we mustn't feel like we have to stay in control and manage it all because we won't be able to. Let me now introduce you to Annabelle Berry, founder of The Lamplight and former CEO of Sapphire with her tips on leading through uncertainty and change. 
Annabelle, I know you are a big change agent, always love to push things forward, be improving things and making things better. So that being the case, what would you say are your top two or three tips perhaps on leading through uncertainty or leading change? I think the first thing would be to listen. I think there's always a tendency to ask questions where you're not really interested in what the answers are. And I think that's really important. I think understanding not only the very obvious stakeholders, but who are the stakeholders in the business who can really give you a different view or understand how something might be accepted or not accepted or where there might be issues or friction. So probably asking questions and and really listening. I think also it's really important to check your ego at the door. I think whenever you're doing anything like that, very easy to come to very quick decisions on things and particularly if you're a you're a change agent to want to change things and to do things quickly I think you've got a question as to why sometimes I think people too often make changes because they want to make an impact not necessarily because they're positive and then the third thing I think would just be to be as transparent as you can and and to be able to answer questions and to tell people Actually, I can't answer you right now on that, but I will when I'm able to. I think it's weaving the story and getting people to come with you with change rather than it being seen as forced, I think is is important. So those three things, I think, I suppose, listening, probably really questioning what the change is for and whether that's really properly been consulted. And then the way you communicate that is everything. And I suppose then going back to the listening to make sure that actually what you've said and what's been communicated has been understood. I think (laughs) communication is one way all too often and um, verifying that, that it's been, it's understood in the way it was intended is, is really important. And in terms of listening, how do you, or how does one in a MD or CEO position, I'm going to use a phrase I don't really like here, but I can't think of a better phrase to use, but how do you get to like, ground zero in terms of of truth because the more senior we become it it gets harder right it gets harder sort of practically to sort of reach down through the organization so to speak and really hear some of the messages partly people want to tell us what they think we want to hear partly messages can get filtered through layers of management on the way up to to us so how do how have you in the past really been able to listen to the people you really want to hear from and not get the the filtered view for me, I immersed myself in the business very early on at all, all, all levels and, and, and tried to build relationships. I suppose going back to what I was saying earlier, really, is, is, is sort of building that trust and understanding how you build that. That, for me, I mean, is the basis, the pillar of, you know, on which everything else is built. And in the absence of, I don't think you can build anything well. So I think when you sit and you ask questions and you truly sit and listen to people, and you take the time, then I think people naturally can sense whether that's something that's just being asked because they're paying lip service or not. So I think that comes from building relationships. And and really early on in my time, particularly at Sapphire, I spend a lot of time everywhere, just talking to people, getting to know people, really getting to know people across the business. And that made it a lot easier then to be able to go and I loved the uh, the company meetings quite often. People would come and seek me out in the evening and come and have a chat with me for five, 10 minutes because they wanted to tell me 
something or they wanted to raise something about, you know, something that we they thought we could be doing better. And I think that's testament to the culture that existed at Sapphire, but also that we built and Im- improved, I think, was having that sort of open, I kind of open door. No one has an open door anymore, but, you know, just to, people had access to me and felt that they could say those things and know that they weren't going to get shot down in flames for it. Because I'd always listen doesn't mean you, you're going to do, you know, going to take on board everything or agree with everything or whatever, but I'd always listen. I think that's really important. So. Our next soundbite comes from Philippa McNamara, who was the managing director at Kin, part of the Wilco Group, and who is no stranger to leading in uncertain times. Here's what Philippa has to say. Philippa, what would you say are your top two to three tips for effective delegation, which I think is a key leadership skill, but it's one that still so many leaders and managers struggle to get right, I think. So what what advice would you give on that topic? So my top tips for effective delegation, I think number one, I would think of the task a bit like a job description. What is it you're trying to achieve? What What is the role? What skills does it need? What's the best kind of person suited to this then I'd look for somebody to delegate to who's going to do this well who's who knows how to do it or who needs a development stretch who would enjoy doing it and who do I trust is going to do a great job and then three I think is contracting with that person and really making sure they understand the setup that they know what's expected they know they has a chance to ask any questions and you agree with them if it's a JFDI and I don't need to know anymore or whether this is actually come back and talk to me at what stages. So, yeah, those I think would be my three top tips. I love that little piece you mentioned. There almost is a little semi throwaway comment around point two, which was who might be able to do this as a, as a development opportunity. Yeah. Right. That's the bit we can sometimes forget, can't we? Like, yes, absolutely. If there's no significant time pressure on it, then yeah, why why don't we give it to someone where it's going to help them grow and, and develop? Yes. And I think if I'm a sneaky fourth, just as a build, I think there's also an element of in coaching or developing somebody, especially if it's a development need, there's no point giving somebody a blank sheet of paper if they really don't know how to do it and what to do. Yeah. Sometimes you have to come the other way and think, okay, on this first time, I might have to be a bit more instructive with you. Yeah. And then further on, when you've had to, you've got some skills, then we can be a little bit more hands off. Yeah. Yeah. That's that situational leadership approach, isn't it? Flexing the style based on the individual we're working with, the situation, the time we've got available to us. Absolutely. Brilliant. And last but not least, as they say, here is Stephanie Sir, Chief Executive of Nottingham Playhouse, sharing her tips and advice on how to lead through change and in deeply uncertain times. Stephanie, what would you say are your top two or three tips for successfully leading teams and organisations through periods of uncertainty or significant change? I think, first of all, it's important to remind everybody why you do what you do. So it's if you can anchor yourself in the fundamental of the point of your business, this is what it's here for, <clears throat> this is what we're trying to achieve, go back over those real first principles. I think that is quite grounding for people. I think it's fine to say that the uncertainty affects everybody. 
you know, this is a time of uncertainty. It's not that we're uncertain, it's that it is uncertain. So, for example, at the moment, no one predicted a cost of living crisis as well as everything else. You know, you can only work with what you have. And I think lastly, it's being available to people. Not everyone, some people love change. They thrive on change. They, they become super versions of themselves. And some people really loathe it and hate it. And I think the idea that you have your top team who are great at this, you know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. You have to respect that. Uh, and if some people are struggling more than others, then you need to give those people the time and space because they will become your strongest advocates and their skills will be needed. But actually at the time of change, maybe they're not at the front of the process and that's absolutely fine. I love that approach of really focusing on on people's strengths, right? It's it's I think that's really valuable because so easily we can ignore that, can't we, and expect everybody, especially if they are in a leadership or management position, to somehow be able to handle everything that's that's thrown at them regardless of, of their role. But actually, if we can really play to strengths and look maybe beyond the job titles, right, who's got a strength in change, who thrives on change, and regardless of where they are in the organisation, how can we tap into their expertise and energy and use that to serve all of us rather than being sort of constrained by what does it say on your on your job title that's super powerful I think I think also it means you need to recruit a range of people doesn't it so also when you're recruiting you need to think about what do people really like what personalities do they bring to the process you know there's a there's a program called working genius I don't know if you know of it but it's it's an American thing and it's, it's actually quite useful because no. we are all different and that's fine but if you just recruit people who are carbon copies of yourself you might all get on and really agree with each other but when the thing happens that needs the other skills you're not going to be covered so I think that's also trying to have a balanced complementary team rather than a lot of carbon copies of yourself is, is really important. And now let me share some further thoughts of my own with you about being resilient in uncertain times. We often hear phrases and see plenty of memes on social media with quotes such as leadership is a lonely job or you don't meet many people out on the extra mile or perhaps it's lonely at the top. All of these phrases perpetuate the idea that leadership is a solitary journey. But it doesn't have to be. In fact, it shouldn't be. As we know, and as we've discussed and explored during this episode of the pod, the world of leadership is no stranger to uncertainty. And with the unpredictable nature of today's challenges, I think it's vital for us leaders to reconsider the way that we build resilience and also how we define and make sense of the word, because it's something that gets spoken about a lot. So I encourage you to redefine resilience as a strategic energy balance, rather than the relentless pursuit or desire of just pushing on through. In these ever-changing, unpredictable times, predicting what's around the corner is nearly impossible. Take, for example, the unexpected global impact of COVID-19, as I mentioned earlier. Such unpredictability demands a fresh approach and perspective on what it means to be resilient as a leader or in leadership. Traditional wisdom often encourages leaders to be resilient by powering on through this adversity continually. But to use another analogy, if you're sprinting all of the time, 
you'll eventually run out of steam. True resilience, though, involves recognizing when to jog and when to sprint. It's about managing your energy efficiently. Just as elite athletes strategically pace themselves during a race, leaders must learn to conserve their energy for those moments when a sprint is suddenly required. And we suddenly do need to keep on going because some sort of crisis has hit the organization or team. But the danger is, you see, in our quest for resilience, in our quest for success and to keep delivering, many of us leaders fall into the trap of constant vigilance. They, we believe that we must always be pushing hard, ready for any challenge and always pushing the boundaries of what we can do and what we can deliver. Despite what I do for a living, I've fallen foul of this, especially over the past few years as we've emerged from COVID. And in some ways, I've paid a heavy price for it recently. I can personally testify to the fact that this approach can lead to exhaustion and ultimately significantly reduced effectiveness. I'm also learning the solutions and getting much better at implementing them. The key, I think, is to embrace periods of relative calm, which is easier said than done if you're a highly driven individual. But during these periods of, uh, these quieter periods, leaders should, can, I encourage you to, focus on self-care, on pausing to reflect, and on recharging our energy reserves. Because it's during these moments of relative calm or respite that we can truly prepare for the inevitable sprints that lie ahead. So I really do believe that sustainable leadership is about more than just surviving. It has to be about thriving in the face of uncertainty. And by managing our energy and recognizing that leadership doesn't require a constant state of pushing on through, we can all lead with greater clarity and greater effectiveness. So if I was gonna sum up my thoughts around what I shared with you today, it would be that leadership doesn't need to be a lonely journey filled with constant struggle. Rather it can be, I think it should be, a deeply fulfilling and meaningful path and job, working alongside exceptional individuals to achieve something significant that matters and that's gonna make a difference. Resilience, when it's redefined as a strategic energy balance, really can empower us leaders to thrive in today's unpredictable world. So that being the case, let's abandon, let go, consign to the past this notion that leadership particularly in times of change and uncertainty, is a lonely job. Instead, let's embrace resilience as this dynamic equilibrium. And if we do, I believe we'll all find that the path forward is not only more sustainable, but more rewarding and more enjoyable too. That's all I've got to share with you for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. But before you go, if you have taken value from this free podcast and leadership resource, please can I ask you to, to act on that gratitude by sharing the link to the show with your friends and colleagues or family 
and then giving the show a quick rating and review. It really does make the world of difference. Those ratings and reviews really do enable us to keep the show going, enable us to attract more and more amazing guests for you to listen to and learn from. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself. Take care of those you've got the privilege and responsibility to lead. See you again soon. And until then, lead on.